Welcome to the Royal Caribbean Blog Podcast, a weekly look into the world of Royal Caribbean cruising. I'm your host, Matt Hodgeberg, and this is episode number 417. During the cruise shutdown, there wasn't obviously any cruises going, but there was still a lot of work happening behind the scenes. And this week, I have the opportunity to talk about some of those changes with Royal Caribbean and take a peek behind the proverbial curtain to get an update on port projects, Royal Caribbean's app, and even amplifications. Here we go. This week's podcast episode was recorded live on board Royal Caribbean's Freedom of the Seas. And being on board a cruise ship, there's always some noise, including some loud air conditioning in this episode. But it's a really good look at what Royal Caribbean's been up to technologically and operationally. Enjoy. When you talk about Royal Caribbean cruises, you think about a relaxing vacation, amazing places to visit. And there's a lot that goes in behind to make that all work. And there's quite frankly, there's a lot more than just the places you're visiting, the pool decks you're on, and the buffet you might be eating at. Uh, going on Royal Caribbean, and I think this is what differentiates Royal Caribbean from so many other competitors, is the innovation. That's the Royal Caribbean calls it the wow factor. They've been calling that for decades, and I think it's a very easy way of describing really all the, in one word, all the innovation and envelope pushing that the cruise line does. And behind that are a lot, a lot of smart people. And I'm sitting with one of them today, and that is Jay Schneider, who is the Chief Product Innovation Officer for Royal Caribbean Group. Welcome, Jay. Thanks, Matt. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. And uh, you are, that's a CXO? That's your, uh, yeah, according to your LinkedIn, that's what it says. Kind of a blend of uh, product development, experience, blend, blended into one. So for those who aren't aware of your background, tell us how you got to Royal Caribbean. You have an interesting background before you even came to Royal Caribbean. Yeah, I've been with Royal Caribbean for the last uh, four and a half years uh, in this new role as Chief Product Innovation Officer for about seven months, um, which was an expansion of my my previous role. My previous role was SVP of Digital, um, leading the digital transformation for the entire group. Great. Um, and before that, I spent about 10 years at the Walt Disney Company um, in everything from uh, I was the VP of uh, experience development, focused on uh, the Walt Disney World, Disneyland, uh, international apps, uh, websites, any sort of any sort of guest-facing technology that you used, um, and did that, including running their e-commerce shop and a handful of, of other roles uh, throughout my career there. And then I spent about seven years in healthcare before that, doing similar type of work. Okay, and then obviously coming to Royal Caribbean, you know, one of the things that I've had the opportunity to talk to Jay about a lot of things about what you guys are doing here. And one of the most interesting is, of course, the dynamic of designing, developing, and planning for cruise ship products is different than planning for land. Because on land, you have so many more, take for granted a lot of the options that are there, the infrastructure that, that exists. Is that right? Yeah. You know, listen, I, we ask people that work for us to think about three things. One, be unreasonably aspirational. Two, challenge everything. And then three, put the guest or the crew at the center of everything we design. And I think that that DNA is inherent in the developing designing experiences for anything. It's just really hard uh, when you do it for a cruise line. Um, you know, Why is it really hard? Yeah, so um, if you think about it, we, we make fun of kind of land-based companies all the time, right? Um, when they think about challenges, they don't ever have to worry that the satellite may get disrupted by a heavy thunderstorm. They don't have to think about building technology where you might lose connectivity to the cloud. Every company on the planet, if you look at their corporate strategy or their corporate technology strategy, is focused on getting to the cloud as fast as humanly possible. And our, chan- and our problem 
we operate you know, 50 to 60 vessels that all have their own data centers at sea. And so we operate in this very hybrid world where, yes, when you interact with us, you transact with us on shore, mm-hmm. whether you're a travel advisor or a, a, a guest direct, you're interacting with the cloud. Sure. When you're a guest here on board, you need all of your technology to work beautifully, whether the internet is perfectly connected or not. You know, yeah, people often ask, can't you still get to the cloud? And maybe the, the guest experience is disrupted a little bit. Uh, on some of our ships where we've added digital key or automated stateroom, it's not like when there's a heavy rain, you know, rainstorm that it's okay that your room doesn't open. Right? <laughs> so it, those sort of things require us to really rethink how we engineer our technology. It also requires us to rethink the infrastructure that, that we have at sea. And so we've spent a lot of time um, and invested heavily to make sure that people have ubiquitous access to the the onboard network, is, is the way to say it, throughout their entire stateroom. If you think back even five years, you've got a really great signal in kind of the atrium spaces and in the, ele- in the elevator lobby and in the hallway. Yeah. And so if you wanted to read, I don't know, CNN or something, you kind of had to lean your phone out in the hallway to get a good signal and right. go back into your room and sit down and do it. You no longer have to do that. Um, so we've invested heavily to make sure that you have quick and easy access to the internet in every corner of the ship. And investing in the ships is something that, you know, before cruise lines shut down in 2020, that was an ongoing process. This was an iterative process. It was something that your team has been working on in a variety of manners. But 2020 comes around and obviously the cruise ships shut down for 15 months. So let's talk about what do you, how did your team take advantage, I guess, of that time? What was done essentially behind the scenes? Yeah, it, you know, it's a great question. We, um, we, we've spent so much time and energy getting up to call it March of 2020, pre-pandemic, that we build an amazing foundation. Uh, had we not made that investment, getting back into service now would be very difficult and mm. very expensive. Um, and so we had the benefit that all of the work that we had done to remove friction from the boarding process, which happens to be a COVID-friendly thing, the muster transformation, which is a COVID-friendly thing, being able to view your folio so you don't have to go wait in line uh, at guest services. Being able to build on those over time um, really enabled us to get back into service with not having to make a significant amount of investment in the things you were already kind of expecting to do as a consumer. Yes, back of house, we've upgraded our medical system. We've got, you know, we spent a lot of time making sure that the team on board has what they need. Um, There are new tools that we never had to imagine before. Um, we've gone up and down as the whole, you know, as the planet has on, do I need to take your temp or not? Right. So as we, as a humanity learned, we adjusted. Um, and so we've explored some of those, uh, some of those have been necessary, but we're building on a huge foundation. The other thing is our infrastructure investment, um, was largely completed. Now it's, it never is completed, right? It's iterative. I think, you know, I've talked about that before, right? Um, but you do it in big cycles and we had, upfront prioritize making sure that we were uplifting Wi-Fi, uh, access points, network, cabling throughout the ship. Uh, and so the amplification program, the Royal brand, the uplifts on the celebrity brand, we really were kind of pulling it all the way through. Something that you guys started before the pandemic that, boy, talk about great timing, was eMuster. Yeah. Right? This is a project that came out, everyone assumed that it came out because of the pandemic, but it actually was something that you were working on before everything shut down. Yep. That's kind of, talk, talk to us a little bit about that experience because 
you know, it's something that now is an amazing game changer um, because if nothing else, it makes the guest experience so much better. You talked about frictionless and that's something that, boy, I mean, there's nothing was fuller of friction than, than, uh, than, than the mustard drill. Yeah. I, you know, listen, we, um, when I first got here, we spent a lot of time talking to guests, uh, talking to the leadership team about what, what was really disappointing in the vacation. We deliver amazing vacations, but there are still bumps along the way, right? The terminal experience and what was, what they considered the day one experience was just the worst as you studied it, Hmm. right? Um, we heard from guests that they didn't feel like they were on vacation until day two. Uh, and when you kind of unpack that a bit, we, you know, it was 90 minutes to, to board, I think, Harmony when I first joined the ship. Um, you get in, finally, you get your bags down, and your mental mind says, I want to go have a drink. And as you're doing that, uh, the safety drill begins. The bars start to shut down 30 minutes ahead of time. Somebody starts shouting you to go, make sure you're going to the right place. And you have no idea what's going on as you're to cruise. And you kind of, you go, you get, you're just getting your mental mind into a vacation. And then we yank you right back out. And then we, you know, finish the drill. And then we make sure that you get to dinner right away. And so you felt like you were, until you woke up that next morning on day two, it didn't feel like really a vacation. Right. We solved Cardabar. Uh, we, f- we really do believe we made a tremendous leap forward in the, the boarding experience. It is really a frictionless experience for you. Even if you think of what you went through to board here, um, Freedom or Adventure when you were here, it, it really was not that bad of a boarding experience, despite the fact that we had to add a wellness check and we're asking additional questions that are obviously pandemic friendly, I guess you'd say. Um, but it really is still a pretty frictionless experience. Um, the uh, the other improvements that we've had to layer in that really help are things like, you know, you have to schedule your arrival. I plead with people to do it because that really makes a difference. So yeah. schedule arrival allows us to be friction free. It allows us to actually do it in a pandemic friendly way. Um, the second big thing was muster. Yeah. Uh, and a couple of years ago, people have tried to tinker with muster over the years. Typically it's been a better video to keep you engaged. Mm. I'm sure you saw our old spy video that we had. Um, And the reality is all of those were kind of tricks to keep your attention Um, because we had the industry as a whole had a big mass muster. We shoved you into a kind of a pen. We shouted at you on a, a bullhorn and you know, the captain came over and told you what to do and somebody else told you what to do and we all checked in and 45 minutes later and 30 minutes before the bar was shut down, 30 minutes by the time the crew get back and you had like an hour and a half out of your first day you're just completely gone. New to cruise had no idea what was going on. Um, seasoned cruisers, you know, understood and were really annoyed. Um, and as we talked to, to, talk to folks about it, it, you know, there was a lot of hesitancy among our company on how far we should really transform that. Uh, Because it's kind of core DNA safety that's been around since 1914. And so there's certain things you don't touch. Uh, But again, back to the spirit of challenge everything, we went after it anyway, uh, with a really big push from Michael Bailey uh, to say there's gotta be a different way. Uh, When when was that? um, It would have been, let's see here, 20, uh, we tested in late 2019. We 
worked with the Bahamians in 2019. It would have been kind of fall of 2018. Wow. So in fall, so that's I mean that's more than a year plus before the oh, pandemic. Yeah. You yeah, know, yeah. that's not that's incredible. So in fall of 2018, Michael made a just push to say, listen, lots of different people have solved this. Not great. Nick Weir was a, a key partner in that. Joey Hasty was a key partner in that. And it was a lot of early ideation to say, how do we just completely go white paper? How do we think differently? And you can boil it down to three simple requirements. I have to know where to go. I have to know how to put a life jacket on and I have to know when it's an emergency. Um, and if you think of those three things, that's really it. That's all. Now, companies layer on more, you know, bring your medication, bring warm weather. And there's some important things you should know. Sure. And then, you know, if you think of it there, we play the wash your hands video and we tell you medical things. And over the years, we've told you about non-smoking areas. And we use that captured moment to tell you as much as we possibly can, which only further muddies the safety message. Um, and so we really went down to those three things and we stood up in our lab in Miami, uh, a complete demo of the art of the possible in the future. And when I, when I sat down with Richard and talked to, took him through what we wanted to do, he said, he disputes this by the way. So uh, I'll probably get in trouble for this, but I'll do it anyway. He was really nervous about trying to disrupt kind of one of the core tenets of safety. And so we built a complete mock-up of how it could look. It would have been in the um, spring, summer of 2019. And it, the team didn't get him through the first minute of a maybe 15, 20 minute demo. And he, he looked over and said, I'm 100% sold. This is going to be transformational. Wow. Um, and so we started trying to industrialize it. Uh, we tested it on a handful of ships. Um, we took on Symphony, and the results were through the roof, just completely through the roof. And there were some moments that you saw in the testing that were just so fun. Like you, in Mass Monster, if a kid has a question or a kid's nervous, what are they going to do? They're standing with 400 other people, you know, and a parent who's sitting on a cell phone who shouldn't be, and, it, you know, they're not really, it's not really the right environment for it. Um, I got to see a kid, you know, look at his dad and say, I don't know how to put a life jacket on. And the person standing behind the monster station said, awesome. There's like, this is why we do this. Here you go. Yeah. You put it on. And this, this, you know, eight, nine, 10, whatever they were, kid sat there, put it on. The dad helped clip it in. It was like a super awesome moment because they could do that in a personalized way. And it was, it was just, that's one of the benefits of it. Right. And so going from this mass muster to personalized muster makes it safer. Um, we've studied the memory recall of me being able to have a conversation with you about safety. I can look at you and say, hey, when there's an emergency, come here. And you're like, oh, that makes sense. Oh, by the way, bring your medication. You know, do you have any questions? Because that, that's the thing you don't get when you're in that big mass assembly drill. It's not like you can raise your hand from the back of the line and be like, oh, hey, I got some questions. Yeah. Right? And so moving to personalize, personalized has made it safer. We've, we've studied it. Um, it's made people way happier. Um, and it allows us just to keep the operation up and running throughout the entire experience. Did you accelerate any of these plans, like once the pandemic began and you saw the writing on the wall? No, we were, um, we were, the pandemic hit at a really unfortunate time. I mean, it, the whole experience is unfortunate, yeah. obviously. Um, but timing-wise, was really unfortunate. We were, uh, we were two weeks away from our first public-facing test ship with Muster. Um, and so we had a team even deployed to the ship, 
we had run through training, the crew was ready. We weren't telling guests ahead of time because there were things we wanted to learn as we went. You know, if you think about it, a ship needs to get to a certain percentage of people who've gone through the drill to be able to sail. And so that's been the thing that we've really kind of paid the most attention to. And we were sweating that number. You know, would would people really want to do it? Um, and we, the pandemic hit, the industry shut down, and we had to pull the team off. Uh, and so then we tested it. I tested it. We rolled it out for the first time on TUI. Um, uh, TUI, you know, gave us the opportunity to do it. Now, not in the full technological way, because it's a kind of partnered brand of ours. Um, they they took the process, but the, their technology does, isn't the same. Um, and so the first kind of real end-to-end was Quantum. Um, and Quantum, the results were fabulous. Uh, and it's been nothing but success in, on the uh, Millennium, Edge, uh, Apex, uh, Adventure, and now Freedom. Well, the app, obviously, eMuster's part of the app, and the Royal Caribbean app has been has gone from something that was like you could download, you could use, to you must download, you must use. It's such an integral part now of the cruise experience for a variety of reasons. And one of them has been something that I've been personally tracking for a while, and a lot of people have been excited for as well. Of course, is the chat functionality yeah. in the app, and that's something else that you've been working on during the shutdown, right? Yeah. Um, it, again, we were re- we were. Uh, ready to really roll it out fleet wide right before the pandemic hit, uh, and so as we bring every ship back, every ship will have chat, uh, which will be great. Um, uh, so chat's an important part. You know, I, I think we're going to find. I don't know about you, but you're a connected consumer, so I'm not worried about you. I'm a connected consumer. Everybody here is a connected consumer. Sure. Um, I think we're going to find a much more connected consumer as we come back. Um, I think the world in the last 15 months has been thrown if you weren't already going on your own digital journey as part of your digital life right you absolutely were thrown there whether you like it or not my 80 year old mother now uses nothing but instacart she didn't know what instacart was 15 months ago sure um and so those moments i think will 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 find a guest who demands more out of us yeah and so there you couldn't stop you have to keep going technology never stand still right um i think one of the mistakes we made um if you remember our royal iq app yeah we stopped investing in it um and it just became stagnant uh, and so you'll see us continue to make improvements and additions and edits to the royal caribbean app um and, and build the product up well speaking of the royal iq app since you brought it up the you know there was a lot of things that came out of that generation of royal caribbean technology one of them was wow bands yeah and i remember at the c beyond event in new york there was a concept art, and it had obviously the Royal Caribbean app was center fo- center point. But there was things that looked like I would call them a blend of a Wow Band and maybe a, a, an Apple Watch, something like that. Yep. Um, and and that leads me into something that uh, I wanted to talk to you about because I loved your your thought on wearables and and the future of that because there was a there was a great talk that you gave as a part of a panel yep. during a recent industry event uh, during the pandemic and. Everyone, you know, I think we all came into that uh, that session. I know I was wearables. Is it going to be the Apple Watch? Is it going to be a new Wow Band? Is it going to be a token? Is it going to be whatever? And you had a really interesting thought. Can you share with our audience your thoughts on that? Yeah, I'll give you a couple things. And I, I don't fully, you know, one thing about the pandemic is you don't always remember what you did yesterday. <laughs> um, I, I have two kind of fundamental beliefs. One, I believe in ubiquity. So I really do believe if you want to use your phone and I want to use a wearable, it's some, I, I've got an Apple Watch, I, you know, we, um, 
uh, I think it's Duke University has been partnering with Apple such that you can put a credential on your Apple Watch and now it works for your dorm door, right? Like that level of ubiquity across however whatever type of technology you bring or however you want to interact, I think you should be able to interact with the brand. And the platforms that are available today just don't really make that expensive for a company. Um, that said, I think one of the most impactful wearables that will continue to evolve is the wearable that you bring with you, which is your face. So our facial recognition boarding um, is is one of those things where we saw really great success out of it. We haven't obviously turned it back on yet. Um, it is a little harder to do facial recognition with a mask on your face. Um, however, I really do believe that that your face will play a greater and greater greater role. Um, you're seeing really fun examples in China right now of 7-Eleven type convenience stores where you literally walk up, it sees who you are, you drop your groceries off, and you get you get um, uh, a confirmation screen that looks at your face, and you're out the door, and you never you never to pull your wallet out of your you know like. I go into stores, I have an Apple Watch, my Apple Card's connected, I can't guarantee it's going to take it. I know they'll take my face. Sure. Right? Um, and so I, I really do believe both um, leisure, hospitality, travel as, as a broad category will continue to see the, the movement of facial recognition into the experience, and I think cruising will over time as well. Um, I do think a wearable does play a role. You know, we, right before the pandemic, we were um, actually on Oasis uh, during, we were actually trying to do it during the amplification and have it ready as she came out for the amplification in the winter of um, 2019. And we ran into technological challenges. And so we were kind of pushing out to roughly about the March, April timeframe, ironically. Um, to deploy a new kids wearable. Um, and the kids wearable was really safety focused. Um, it would allow a parent to track their kid anywhere they were on board the vessel. Completely opt in if you wanted to, it's not required. Um, but you were able to essentially opt in and uh, put a new BLE based wearable on your kid and track them anywhere on the ship. Um, we'd also use it in our Adventure Ocean program. And as you saw on Oasis, we had a pretty amazing uplift of uh, Adventure Ocean. So all of that was designed to be part of that evolution of the WOW band. We even called it the WOW band uh, to get some fun. Um, and, and that allowed us, frankly, to, when we did shut down, to pivot over to start thinking of contact tracing. So as you think of all of these products as kind of an evolution on top of themselves, the, the WOW band was great when it first came out. It was convenient. Um, we were working towards you know, better safety for kids. That allowed us to pivot into you know, contact tracing for all. So it's just been a continual journey. That's great. And would you, I know that this is facial recognition, you would still consider to be more blue sky still. It's still kind of out there. Um, I, you know, had the pandemic not hit, um, I think it would have been near. I think as a result of 15 months of us trying to get us back into service, you kind of have to add a 15 month pause to it. Um, I think it's going to be a little bit further out. I don't think it's blue sky though. In fact, I know it's not blue sky. So, you know, with, with and, and I guess the, the question, you know, with, with everything you guys are doing technologically, one of the things that I think that a lot, a lot of people who are, who've been cruising for a long time, sometimes you hear about new tech and it, I don't say they roll their eyes at it, but it's like tech for the sake of tech, right? And Absolutely. one of the things that, one of the tenants I think you've always brought to the table that I've literally seen from from my perspective is that you're not looking to just add, hey, there's a new whiz bang feature we can add on here that's going to 
you know, do neon this or whatever. It's not technology for the sake of technology. You're trying to make it so. Talk to us about your your view of integration of technology into the cruise experience. Yeah, I, so I have a fundamental belief: technology should be in the background, and you should experience the vacation that you're going on. Um, you know, it's part of the reason we spend time making the facial recognition facial recognition boarding tech the way we did. We didn't want you to have to pull out a boarding pass. We wanted you just to be able to, you know, walk in. We see you coming. We greet you. You know, a lot of people put um, facial recognition in place to cut labor. That's the, you know, if I have a machine, if you go to Heathrow, right, it's a row of facial recognition booths. You go in it. They've got one person manning it. It used to be seven people, and so they're now they've been efficient. That wasn't our goal. Um, we purposely added staff. We wanted to welcome you. We just wanted to know who you were as you approached us. Um, and so I, I really do believe technology needs to sit in the background and, and surprise and delight you throughout your vacation. Um, and so tech can be in the foreground when it needs to be. Sure. But to your point, it doesn't need to be shiny neon blinking at you, right? It needs to be fun integrated. I think the work we did um, in the amplification of Oasis, and it's here on Freedom as well, the interactive um, storybook wall, the games for kids are really fun ways to deliver tech. Um, I think tech can be low tech too, right? Um, a button at um, uh, a way to communicate with somebody on perfect day is, is a way to do it. And that, again, those are often we learn from those and adjust and build more and, and, and go further. So, so I, I do think though, tech can get disruptive. I, you and I have talked about this before. Um, I believe when you go to a restaurant, and this is a me thing, but I believe a restaurant is an experience, especially a high-end restaurant. And so I think QR codes for menus are the worst thing that's ever been invented. It's great for kind of, you know, convenience if you need it. It's great to look ahead and plan, get excited. But when you go to a real high-end restaurant, you want you want to feel the paper. You want the experience. And so I think tech can get in the way in some cases, and that's an example of where it does. Interesting. Yeah. And that's part of the iterative process, right? Absolutely. Roll it out. It doesn't really work this way. Let's go back Adjust. to Adjust. Yep. Yeah, that's exactly right. So, you know, we talked during the shutdown, you know, things, you talk about how uh, the pandemic hit right when you were thinking about things like facial recognition, about the, the chat was going to go forward, things like that, right? And among them, uh, were a couple of projects, and this is something also that you've now taken on in your new CXO role of some of the products, some of the private destinations, because Royal Caribbean announced a number of new things that were coming our way um, in a number of places around the world, chief among them in the Bahamas. So I wanted to get kind of your uh, update here, if you will, on some of these projects, because, you know, Royal Caribbean announced projects to develop uh, private beach clubs and, and areas in Freeport, Nassau, Antigua, Lalepa, among others, right? There was talk about uh, yep. Lava D being redeveloped, yep. a phase two and three of Coco, Coco Key. Key. Yep. So I, I don't know where you want to start, but the one that I got, I'll, I'll direct you, let's start with the Bahamas if we're, because we're, we're actually in Nassau as we're recording this. Um, and there's been, obviously, I've been paying attention to a lot of the local news reports and the court filings and what have you. Yeah. So where do things stand with, with the projects here? So I, I'd step back a little bit. Um, if you think of kind of the fundamental DNA, right, uh, of going on a, a cruise vacation or Royal Caribbean International specifically, it's really a couple of things. People want to go to great destinations on great ships with great service 
and that fundamentally equals a great vacation. And so for destinations for us, in some cases, it's just getting them there, right? So Odyssey will run uh, an 8-6 itinerary, and you'll start to see us um, push deeper into the Southern Caribbean because places like the ABC Islands have high appeal. Um, the second thing is there are destinations that people want to go to, but they don't spend enough time or there's just not enough for them to do. The Royal Beach Club is one of those things that allows us to enhance specific destinations that have great beach, but maybe just not quite enough to keep everybody on having a great shore day. And then third, um, parts of the world where we need to create a destination unto itself. And that's really where the perfect day portfolio comes in. And so if you think of the difference between the two of them, perfect day versus a beach club, a beach club is a destination we're going to. You may not go to the beach club. You may go somewhere else. You may decide to go over to Atlantis or do something different. Whereas perfect day, a perfect day will actually just be the physical destination that we we end up docking at and going to. Um, And so we're going to continue to build all of those up. Um, We're going to continue to go to places we don't. We're going to continue to go uh, and build out Royal Beach Clubs. The first one will be here um, in Nassau. Uh, It'll be the Royal Beach Club in Paradise Island. Um, And then we're going to continue to expand our perfect day portfolio. Will it be the exact places that you rattled off? You know, there's a couple of things that I would say have changed in the last 15 months. Um, number one, the destinations have are evolving, um, meaning um, they're coming out of a pandemic themselves, so their situations are different. Um, second, our guests are evolving, and we're constantly updating our slate of where we want to go. Um, and so that those factors and formulas together help us think about where we want to go. For sure, there will be a Royal Beach Club here um, uh, in NASA, uh, we have gotten to the point where we have um, uh, we've announced that we've executed our lease with the government. So um, the total space is 20 acres, um, 13 of which we own privately, and then it's seven acres of crown land, government land um, that we've leased. So it's a land lease and a seabed lease because we have to be able to uh, build piers to be able to get people there. Um, and so we are going to continue to move forward with that program. Uh, we actually went over and toured it today, toured the land today. Great. So those and um, the uh, Freeport, how's that one going? Because what's interesting is from the outside looking in, yeah, was Freeport and Galveston were the two projects that seemed to have the first like earmarked like these are goes during the pandemic, um, and. I'm just curious how Freeport stacks up there. Yeah, I think they're all different. Each, uh, Galveston, Freeport, um, and uh, the Royal Beach Club here at Paradise Island are all had very different, unique challenges to go solve. Sure. Um, and so I think part of the reason they appeared that way is that it's just, again, different, uh, either regulatory. I mean, here we have... Um, environmental processes that we have to go through because of the type of work we do versus in Galveston, it really was the build out of the new the new terminal and the, and the movement we had to do there. Um, and so they all are going to operate at, at kind of their different pace. Um, uh, we also had to finish the land acquisition here where we didn't have to do that right. um, in, in Galveston. Um, Freeport uh, it continues to move forward. We're, we're, we're still working through the, the legal agreements so that's just been an elongated process uh, that we hope will conclude sometime soon. Interesting. So these projects are still, for lack of a better word, a go. 
in, in that respect. Yeah, so far. I mean, the Galveston is a for sure go. Right. Um, there's, you know, we are. So if you think of and you step back and look at the Bahamas overall, right? We have been. I would argue, and this is probably, you know, this is my viewpoint. I think we've been one of the best corporations to really help Bahamians overall. Um, whether that is work we've done through the Bahamas Feeding Network, whether it's support of local businesses, um, uh, hurricane relief, hurricane relief, absolutely. Um, we do entrepreneurial workshops it's where the hot sauce project came out of. As we work to build out uh, the beach club here, we are going to continue to support Bay Street, the straw markets that are here. Um, we're looking for new businesses to start to help either fuel activity on the beach club or um, here uh, within the downtown area. Um, and so, you know, there um, we've got to get guests from ships to the location. So that's an opportunistic build, uh, business that we that we don't want to operate, we don't want to build, we want to work with Bahamians to do that. Um, you know, one of the fears as we talk to people in the Bahamas is that we're just going to literally tender people over and completely cut out NASA, and that's so far from the truth. Um, we actually are purpose built to get them into the port. Um, uh, the beach club itself. So we've got adventure and freedom here today, um, and as the government continues to invest in the port, the port here. Um, you're going to see more and more volume from our overall group, but for sure Royal Caribbean International come through NASA. Um, the Beach Club can't sustain all of those folks, and that was never the intent. It's a small percentage uh, of people. You know, the current um, daily occupancy for the Beach Club is going to be 3,500 guests. And when you take a look at two ships, put an Oasis-class ship here and a Freedom-class ship, sure. and that's about, you know, 25% of the guests, and that's it. And right. so it's not... This wasn't a beach club. Isn't meant to completely take over a destination. It's again just meant to really augment them. Right. It's kind of like the Cocoa Beach Club at Cocoa Key versus the rest of the island. Yeah, that's fair. Right. Yep. That's good. So here's my last question for you, Jay. You got a lot of responsibilities. You're covering a lot of things now. You got, you got the, you've got the whole tech side. You got the destinations. When you wake up in the morning. What excites you? What 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 gets you going? I have again. I, I really do think I have the two best jobs. Um, I I every day I continue to focus on our digital transformation, and then you know as I think of um, uh, the product development, it's it's new private destinations, but it's also the branded concepts that we put on our new builds. So we've got a team of people focused on the next session of new builds. Um, from Wonder, Icon, and the ships that happen after that. And so those are just amazing projects to go think about every day, whether it's water slides on the next ship or our sustainability footprint on um, every ship coming out after Wonder is going to be LNG-based or an evolving set of sustainable, um, clean tech. And so as you think of that, that gives you really fun problems to go solve while then, uh, my team is going to pick up our amplification program again. We're, you know, so if you think of the slate of things that we're working on, yes, it's private destinations. We're going to pick up amplification again. We're going to keep making sure that the amplification we have is working, uh, and our new board new build portfolio isn't isn't stopping. Uh, we're going to continue to build amazing ships and. You're going to see the concepts that you love um, continue. You're going to see new concepts come out on future ships. 
um, and you're going to see us experiment with new fun ways to, again, get people to have an amazing vacation. Thanks, Jay. Appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. All right, let's answer some listener emails. This is the part of the episode where you can send me your emails to be read right here on the podcast. And of course, if you want to send me your emails, you can do so by sending them to Matt, M-A-T-T, at royalcaribbeanblog.com. Our first email this week comes to us from Drew. Right, hey, Matt, listen to your podcast during the shutdown really kept me going. Having three cruises canceled, including two group cruises, I'm ready to get back out there. You mentioned in episode 411 that they weren't allowing people whose reservations weren't linked to sit together at dinner. Does that mean they're not offering Chef's Table at this time, or are they offering it and separating groups in the same general area? It's a great question, Drew. I really don't know. I'm not aware that they've not, they're not offering Chef's Table, so let me rephrase that. I believe they are offering Chef's Table. I'm sure they're taking certain precautions, but I can't speak to what those are, Drew. So it's a very long way of me saying simply, I don't know. It's a great question. Maybe somebody who has experienced it can share what it's like at the chef's table. You know, one thing they are doing, Drew, when I've eaten at Izumi Hibachi, which is definitely communal eating, is that it is, uh, you know, normal. There's no changes there that you would notice. Of course, the difference for Izumi Hibachi is that it is available only to vaccinated passengers. And as I talk about this out loud, that's be my guess that Chef's Table is also a vaccinated-only experience, but I would have to defer to the ship that you're on and, and whatnot. So anyway, thanks for the email, Drew. Do appreciate it. Our next email comes to us from... Uh, Tanner Maurice from Canada. Hey, Matt, just having returned from two of the first sailings to resume, have you gained any insight onto other ships' restart plans? Specifically, as each new ship rolls out, it will start from zero with limited guests, limited venues like the Windjamere for supper, etc., etc. Or do you think later starting ships will start from whatever condition earlier ships such as Freedom happen to be at? My August 22nd Independence of the Seas cruise from Galveston is the second sailing from Independence as it starts August 15th. We're curious if there'll be any very low guest capacity with restrictions or if it'll have higher capacities and less restrictions compared to what Freedom will likely be at by that time as well. I'm happy to hear how a great time you had and your family had. Thanks for all you do. Tanner, thanks for the email. You know, it's an excellent question. And the answer to me, at least right now, is that there isn't a correlation between ships and where they start at, per se. I think Royal Caribbean is taking very much a wait-and-see approach with a lot of these things. And they're also not divulging a terrible amount of information as it relates to, you know, limited capacity, how limited, how much more they're adding. Clearly, as I've been observing bookings in the summer and fall, that they have been, cruises will be, a particular sailing will be sold out. And then we will see in every now and then new cabins come online to book, which tells me that they're likely adding capacity. Now, I'm not sure that they're adding thousands of rooms, but they are adding more capacity and they're totally edging in that direction. I, again, I, I can't tell you, Tanner, what you should expect when you get on board the ship and what the experience will be like. You know, right now, Royal is is making its protocols based on where the ship is sailing from, which port of departure. And in a lot of cases, it is very specific to that ship. I think they're just trying to take it as they go. I'm sure they would love to have a more generalized approach to the fleet. It would certainly be logistically simpler, but reality is it's just not there at this point, and they've got to take each ship almost at its own entity in terms of its policies and whatnot. So, yeah, we're going to wait and see on that, Terrence. It's an interesting question, but my my gut tells me that it's not necessarily going to be a one-to-one -one because, like, it's not like um, it's not like leveling up in a video game where because Mario has made it to level four, Luigi gets him to level four as well. It's not quite like that, if that makes any sense. Next, we have an email from Angela Harris Norton. Hi, Matt. Thanks for all your vlogs. I've learned a lot from watching them. But I have a question. That is, how is Royal Caribbean handling embarkation and disembarkation? I'm a little confused with the check-in process on the Royal Caribbean app. Can you advise if the purpose 
with taking my picture through the app is that something will show on Rolex computer screen during embarkation day? Also, are the stateroom's in your recent experience ready upon check-in? I have heard from other vloggers that for disembarkation, all guests remain in their stateroom's until disembarkation time. I wanted to know if that was correct. And oh yeah, I have 75 days till my September cruise on Serenade of the Seas. Angela, uh, I'm gonna start backwards. Yes, you heard right about the disembarkation. You go back to your room to be waited for your luggage tag number to be called from instead of going to a common area, which I absolutely love. I hope that never goes away because I just like, it's so much more comfortable in my own room. I don't even care. This isn't about COVID or being among people. I just like being able to lie down on my bed and wait for my number to be called rather than sitting in a, in a departure lounge. Like I love that change personally. So that's number one. In terms of the check-in process, the purpose of taking your photo is for it to be one less step to do in the terminal. If you remember traditionally before the Royal Caribbean app, when you did the check-in in the terminal, they would ask for everybody to take their photo. Remember, they'd hold up like that webcam, point it at you, you'd smile awkwardly, and then you get your photo. Well, this saves time. The purpose of the check-in process through the entire app is to save you time. So that way, when you get to the terminal, you're spending less time waiting right there for the whole thing. It's just a matter of, okay, everything looks good here. You're good to go and move on. This has been a really big initiative for Royal Caribbean. They call it frictionless. And that is to make the process frictionless so that you're not stopping. You're not, you're not, everything is not coming to a grinding halt as you try to do something and then start up again. It's more of a keep moving it kind of, kind of approach to it. So that's the purpose of the, of the photo. It's one less thing to do uh, over there. And are the same as in my experience ready upon check-in they have been, uh, you know, I've, I've, I've been lucky enough on all my cruises, but one to be the first passenger, uh, on there in the, like the first sailing back, you know, on, on adventure freedom and allure, I was the first passenger back. Like there were no other passengers before me. So the answer to your question is yes. But one of the benefits, Angela, of the, of the check-in process being a little later, remember check-in times are now later than they were before the pandemic. And one of the benefits of that, our rooms are already a lot closer to your sit, to your check-in time. If you take the earliest check-in time, you might not be able to get in there, but I have, there can be a little bit of a gap, but it's much narrower. It's much less time between the earliest check-in and when the rooms are ready than they were that same, you know, check-in time, earliest check-in time and when the rooms are ready before the shutdown. So, so the answer to your question, Angela, is not necessarily, but it's not as much of a wait uh, if you have one of those early, early check-in times. And our last question this week comes to us from Joseph. Who writes, hi, Matt. I enjoy your blogs and have been already been on five Royal Caribbean ships, but not since 2011. I still find there's always something new to learn or to look forward to. We'll be on Mariner this season for a back-to-back -back of eight days each in uh, July of 2022. And I'm already doing my quote-unquote homework. What I'm finding is there's confusion on social media about the dress code expectation on formal nights. I phrase it that way because on one hand, it appears to be a misnomer these days. On the other hand, the Royal Caribbean website has information that might be outdated, like black tie, etc. Based on your knowledge of Royal Caribbean today, what exactly is the dress code on designated special nights? Is it that much different than casual dressing professional on all other dinners in the main dining room or at Chopped or Jamie's? Thanks in advance. Keep up the great work. It's a great question, Joe. And you basically nailed it, I think, right in the beginning when you were saying that it appears to be a misnomer. The idea of formal night or smart casual and all that really doesn't mean what you think it means or what it sounds like, really. The reality is, honestly, if, you, if I were to put it in layman's terms, I would say the casual dress code that you find, which by the way, only applies to the main dining room in the evening, would be wear something nice. Uh, for guys, that is a collared shirt and some sort of a pants that doesn't have holes in it, khakis, jeans, whatever. And then formal night is something nicer than that. Do some people wear tuxedos and suits? Yes. Do you have to wear a tuxedo and suit? No. You can certainly get away with pretty much the same thing. Royal does not really enforce the dress code unless you seriously show up in like a bathing suit 
or something so egregious that that might raise the ire of like, mm, you know, that's not really appropriate wear here. They especially restaurants like Chops or Jamie's, they have their own dress code every night of the cruise, which supersedes the main dining room dress code. So if it's formal night in the dining room, it is not formal night at Chops and Jamie's. They always have that, I, I guess you'd call it business casual uh, dress code there. And again, kind of like the dining room, it's not super picky. You're not gonna have someone in there who's gonna be looking you up and down, be like, well, you know, that doesn't really go. I mean, it, it's just one of those things that there are dress codes, but they're not heavily enforced. So the bottom line is, Joe, you're going to basically be able to wear something that's just nice to wear. I wouldn't worry too much about it. And certainly, if you don't want to wear a suit, you don't have to on formal nights. You can. I wear suits. I don't wear tuxedos. I don't own a tuxedo. But I do like to wear a suit, like a shirt and tie and a jacket. I enjoy it because I don't get to dress up really all that much. So it's kind of something fun for me. Plus, it's nice to take photos in when you're a little dressed up. But I understand some other people don't want to do that. And certainly, you could show up there in a nice collared shirt as a guy and you know, slacks or something like that. I mean, again, it's not really that a much of a stringent policy. So thank you, Joe, for the email. Thank you to everybody for checking out the Royal Green Blog podcast. And until next time, I'm Matt, and we'll talk again real soon.